previously we have discussed about the discriminative awareness of mind and matter and the causal relationship of mind and matter. Let's go again and see how does these understanding or insight arises in the practice. <clears throat> Let's take walking meditation as a model <clears throat> to explain the experience. Stage one, okay. the beginners, yogis who are beginners to this practice, they are practicing walking meditation. At the beginning, the walking movement and knowing of the walking movement. It seems like they are one and the same or you can say they are mixed between the knowing and the walking. Something like You're eating ice cream and you know you are eating, but knowing that you're eating and you're eating are one and the same. They're all together. On a sunny day, hot, eating the ice cream cone. Physically eating the ice cream cone and you knowing that you are eating the ice cream cone is together one and the same. That is how the beginners will experience the walking meditation. Of course you are observing lifting, pushing, dropping, lifting, pushing, dropping. But I am lifting, I am pushing, I am dropping. That is the kind of experience one has as stage one. And let's call it stage two now. Stage two is you're practicing quite for some time, few days, few weeks. And with that practice, The stability of mind set in, meaning you don't think too much anymore. Your mind doesn't wander too much anymore. You can focus on this walking movement, lifting movement, pushing movement, dropping movement. Your mind is quite stable now. And when your mind becomes quite stable, you will come to know that this walking movement or the lifting or pushing or dropping movement, 
that is one thing. And then knowing of the walking movement. You know because you are observing it. You know because you are mindful of that walking movement. So there are actually two things happening. Walking movement, physicality is one thing. Knowing of the walking movement, mentality is another thing. And when the mind is stable, that's how one comes to experience. There are two things happening. One is the walking movement, another is the knowing of the walking movement. To give an example, so that we can vividly understand, let's say there's a, a little feather floating and falling and floating and falling right in front of you within your sight, within your vision. You're looking at it and that little feather floating and falling by itself. There is nothing to do with you. That's a one process going on. And then here you are actually looking at it and know that's a feather that is floating and that's falling. You simply know, totally unconnected to that falling feather. That kind of separation, okay, and here is quite easy of course, feather is outside you and you know that. But in a walking meditation, it is all within your body and within your mind. But with the stability of mind, you can see the walking movement as if you are watching or looking at the floating, falling feather. That's one. And then knowing. Knowing is simply a knowing process, another one. That's the way you come to experience. And when you experience that way, you had experienced the discriminative awareness of mind and matter, or mind and body. Body is a one thing, mind is a one thing. Walking movement is the one process. Knowing is the another process. And these kind of experiences are called insight. Nothing big, fantastic, showing up in the sky with a blinding light. It's a simple processes that is happening in your mind and body. When you come to know that, as they really are, we call it insight. So this is stage two. And of course, the yogi keep on practicing. 
And when you practice, we just give it name, okay? Stage three. Stage three. You keep on practicing with diligence and effort. And the mind, not only stable, it becomes quite concentrated. In other words, you go deeper. Your concentration becomes deeper, quite concentrated. And at that time, one began to notice there's an intention before the walking movement. There's a intention before the walking movement. Before it is just simply walking or lifting. That's a movement, physicality. When the mind becomes deep, suddenly you become aware. Intent to move. Intention. Wanting to move. Desire to move. That little feeling you experience it. So, we just label it intention. Intent to move. And then, as soon as there's an intent to move, it's followed by the movement of the foot. And also, there's a movement at the foot. But you're observing you are mindful of the movement of the foot. And once there's a movement of the foot, automatically there's the knowing the movement of the foot. Followed by the mind. Knowing is the mind. Movement of the foot is the body. Body and mind. So, Due to intention, there's movement. Due to movement, there's knowing. So there's a intention, movement, and knowing. Now three stages. You come to know that, you experience that because your concentration become quite strong. And as you are practicing the walking meditation, this intention, movement, and knowing repeat again and again. So which means you experience that repeatedly. Intention is the cause. Movement of the foot is the effect. Movement of the foot is the cause. Knowing of the movement of the foot is the effect. You are experiencing that repeatedly. And when you are experiencing that repeatedly, intention, movement, and knowing, there's a light shine in your mind, so to speak. In other words, there's understanding All these trees are connected based on cause and effect. 
they are all connected through causal relationship. Intention and knowing that is mind, nama. Movement is physicality, rupa. Nama and rupa. And that kind of experience, knowing that one causes the other, another causes the another, another causes the other, cause and effect, is called you have the understanding into the causal relationship of mind and matter. Or discernment of the causal relationship of mind and matter. That's at the stage three. So that's how one experience in the actual practice to have that insight. There's no thinking process. There's no analyzing process. Simply experience and with the repeated exposure of the cause and effect, you start to feel, you start to know these are all happening due to cause and effect relationship. So you practice slowly, stage one, stage two, stage three, and then you go farther, stage four. And you have the consistent, constant mindfulness practice. You achieve the mature, well-concentrated mind. Before it is a well-concentrated mind, now you become quite mature now, become more skillful. Mature, well-concentrated mind. So, under this light of mature, well-concentrated mind, let's see how this walking process is taking place. But the fact of the matter is how you are experiencing the same thing, the same walking process. But the difference is, the conditional difference is, you have a mature, well-concentrated mind. That's a variation. And then that, how do you experience this walking process? Okay. First and foremost, you are doing a walking meditation. And then the last one we said, as an intention to live. Intention to live means there must be something to live. Without something to live, the intention to live cannot arise. So in other words, there is the awareness of the foot. Let's call it left foot. There is the awareness of the existence of 
left foot. Left foot is rupa materiality. And because of that awareness, this intention arises. Intention to move the left foot. And when there is a intention to move, the awareness of the foot has already passed away. You are in the zone of intention to lift or to move. And then right after that intention, there's the lifting of the foot. But when the lifting of the foot arises, the intention had already passed away. Intention just arises to do its job. When its job finished, it disappears. And then lifting of the foot, rupa materiality is taking place. And this lifting of the foot pass away when knowing of the lifting of the foot arises. Without the existence of lifting of the foot, there can be no knowing. So logical sequence is when lifting of the foot passed away, knowing of the lifting of the foot arises. And after the disappearance of the knowing of the lifting of the foot, there arises awareness of the right foot. Because you are doing walking meditation, that's a sequence. So with the mature, well-concentrated mind, you begin to see not only cause and effect, there's a, another thing. One has to disappear for another thing to arise. One need to pass away for another thing to arise. Arising and passing away. Arising and passing away. Or passing away and arising. Passing away and arising. Like that. One comprehend the conditionality of mind and matter. You still comprehend the causal relationship of mind and matter, but with passing away, passing and arising together, there's more things you come to experience. In this case is arising and passing away. And when you repeatedly experience 
this specific walking process. Rupa Nama, Rupa Nama, Rupa Nama, or intention, movement, and knowing with endings of every little process. Seeing ending of every little movement, every little knowing, and every little intention. When you experience that specific process due to moment to moment conditional changes of walking, you know these things because condition is always changing in your walking process. Moment to moment conditions are changing. With the conditional changes, everything changes and everything there arises, they simply passed away. So, the yoga become consciously aware that all mentality and physicality Nama and Rumba, mind and matter, simply arises and passed away. That's what you come to understand or experience. This constant changing nature of mind and matter becomes very obvious to yogis at this fourth stage. Constant changing nature of mind and matter become very obvious in this fourth stage. Mature, well-concentrated mind. And this way of understanding, if you want to give a little definition, is called characteristics of impermanence, anicca, lekana, ever-changing, ever-passing away, all mind and matter. And if you experience that, you are experiencing the characteristics of impermanence, anicca, lekana. And in here, you should have a careful understanding there. Each mind and matter noted, in other words, each lifting and lifting and lifting, knowing and knowing and knowing, intention and intention and intention, each one of them, each mind and matter noted, are entirely different objects. They are not the same thing repeating again and again. They are entirely different objects. The only thing they are related, connected is they are related through, connected through the cause and effect. 
how clear, how sharp this arising and passing phenomenon varies from yogi to yogi based on their own concentration level. Some may be a little sharper than the other, some may be a little more vague or obscurely known seen than the other. But regardless, all yogi will experience this ever-changing nature of mind and matter, anicca lakana. And then you keep, all that we do is keep on observing, be mindful, be mindful, be mindful in our walking meditation. So after countless repeated experience of this ever-changing nature of mind and matter, this process, this phenomenon, then one began to reflect your experiencing. And here we use the word reflect. Reflect means there's thinking involved. See, as a beginner, okay, sometimes we need a little push, little assistance from reflection. But you have to experience first, and then you reflect upon that experience. one began to reflect. This process, which means arise and pass away, arise and pass away, changing, 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 changing. This process is not efficient. This process is not satisfactory. This process of phenomenon is always breaking down. You reflect because they come and gone, come and gone, come and gone. In other words, breaking down all the time. That's how one began to reflect. But you're reflecting your own experience, not reflection first and then experience later. And when you reflect like that, that kind of reflection is the reflecting the unsatisfactoriness of the condition phenomenon. Mm. Reflecting the unsatisfactoriness of the condition phenomenon. Condition phenomenon is another word. Basically Condition change, everything change. It's always the condition, your environmental condition, your physical condition, your mental condition. Whenever these conditions change, everything change. When everything is changing, there's always something ceased, 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 stop, stop, disappear, disappear. That is called 
reflecting the unsatisfactoriness of conditioned things. In Pali, it's called Sinkara Dukkha. And also, some yogi, quite a few, in fact, many, if you are practicing pure vipassana, satipatthana vipassana, yogis will experience uncomfortable, you feel uneasy, frustrating feeling, uncomfortable feeling, uneasy feeling, frustrating feeling, irritating feelings. While you are seeing these breaking down, you also feel that way because of that experience. Those feelings, irritating, frustrating, uneasy feelings are called dukkha. The first one is sinkara dukkha, unsatisfactoriness of condition thing. This one is you simply feel straight out frustrated and irritated. So they are called dukkha dukkha. And these are all these things that we mention are the characteristics of suffering. In Pali, dukkha lakana. Dukkha is suffering. Lakana is characteristic. Characteristics of suffering. Dukkha lakana. So you quine a word onto your experience. Experiences are what we had discussed. And if you want to call it, it's called characteristics of suffering. Dukkha lakana. Once a yogi see impermanence, which is called anicca, that yogi will also see suffering dukkha. Or you can say once a yogi see suffering, the yogi also see impermanence. I said it in both ways because sometimes some yogi experience impermanence first and then suffering later. Some people experience impermanence through suffering. Because this impermanence and sufferings are both sides of the same coin, head and tail. If you have a coin, it's there, both head and tail. The same thing, impermanence and suffering are both sides, on both sides of the same coin. So, after, or along with this impermanence and suffering, you begin to sense 
yogi sense that this mind and this body is empty. That kind of a feeling or sense, knowing this body and mind is empty. This body and mind has no substance. And this body and mind cannot be controlled. It is ever-changing and passing away, depending on the conditional changes. And the conditions are always changing. And these processes, these phenomena are always occurring on their own accord rising and passing away, rising and passing away, based on changing conditions. And at that time, one began to reflect. The word is reflect. Beginners cannot really get into it if you are with the teacher, the teacher can point out and pull you into that direction. But we are the distant learners and everybody is doing on their own. So that's why we're using that word reflect. If you are with the teacher, you don't need to reflect. The teacher will point you out and pull you into that direction. But now, you must reflect. This is always changing. This is always passing away. And the only connection is cause and effect. And this is all that I see. Mind and body, mind and body, nama and rupa. There's nothing else I can see. So this process, this phenomenon cannot be self. This process, this phenomenon cannot be a soul. You have to reflect that way. Because of the inefficiency, breaking down, uncontrollable nature, this cannot be called self or soul. Because what is self? Self is exercising control on likes and dislikes. Self is exercising control on likes and dislikes. And here, even though you don't like it, you can't change it. Even though you like it, you can't hold it. They are just in a continuous flow of change, continuous flow of passing away. So automatically, that definition of self doesn't fit this mind and body. And also soul. What is soul? Soul is identify with eternity, eternal. And here, right under your nose, everything is 
arising and passing away, arising and passing away. So, it cannot be a soul either. So, in this mind and body, in this me, I, you, there is no self or soul because definitions of self and definition of soul doesn't fit into it. Self and soul is actually the representative of ego. They represent ego. They represent the id. They represent conceit. Ego, conceit, id, control. That's what self represents. That's what soul represents. They are always in charge. So, this self or soul, or you can call it ego and conceit, or id, they have no role to play in this mind and body, in your mind and in your body, in everybody's mind and everybody's bodies. They have no role to play. The definition doesn't fit into this phenomenon and process. Like that, one reflects. In other words, you're really thinking, both from your direct personal experience and also from the definition of the self and soul. You reflect. And if you reflect that way, it means you're refle reflecting the characteristics of non-self, no soul. You are not just simply thinking, of course. You, it comes all from experience, the right experience of arising and passing away. And then your understanding of what self and soul is, putting together, you come to the understanding this cannot be self or soul. Such is the characteristics of non-self, no soul. In Pali, anatta lakana, anatta lakana, characteristics of no soul, non-self. This experiential understanding With the aid of reflection into the concept of impermanence, into the concept of suffering, and or unsatisfactoriness, and into the concept of unsubstantiality. Based upon arising and passing away or ever-changing nature of conditioned 
mind and matter is having insight to the impermanence, suffering, and non-self. So, all these experience, all these experience we have just described in one line is the scripture written, of course translated into English as the insight into the impermanence suffering and non-self. Pali word is samasana jnana. Insight into these three characteristics. Impermanence, suffering, and non-self. And this is actually the first insight the yogi ever had, which you can call it vipassana, insight into permanent suffering and non-self, is the first insight the practitioner experience vipassana, or this is the first experience in the vipassana domain. This is the first time you step into it. The first step into vipassana, when you have this samasana jnana, insight into the impermanent suffering and non-self. First step, the first baby step. So, there arises a question. We have been talking about discriminative awareness of mind and matter, insight into cause and effect, and so on and so on, those two. So insight into discernment of mind and matter, and insight into the conditionality, they are called preliminary insights to Vipassana. They are not Vipassana yet, but they are the forerunner of Vipassana. Preliminary insight to Vipassana. Because Vipassana domain, you can call it Vipassana only when these three characteristics, or you can call it general characteristic, People also call it common characteristics of mind and matter, which is impermanence, suffering, and non-self. Only when these three characteristics are involved, that is called vipassana. Without that, it is not vipassana. So, the first two insights are the forerunner of vipassana. This samasana jnana. If it is the first two, this is the third one. It's the true vipassana insight. This is your experience. 
this experience is the taking a first step into the domain of vipassana. These common characteristics will become sharper and clear and more distinct once the yogi keep on practicing and making progress. So this is the first step into the domain of Vipassana. May all of you be able to practice mindfulness inside meditation and may you be able to step into the domain of Vipassana as soon as possible. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Thank you very much.